good morning. Well, on this day where we celebrate the conversion of the great Apostle Paul, and as we reflect on the mission of the church and the theme of this convention, Acts 1-8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. I decided last night, and I asked the bishop and Caroline after we had dinner, I wanted to look at your Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria a little bit. So I said, can you drive me over to the Ryman? Now, it was already, we were get, it was already a little late in the hour, and uh, I mean, they couldn't say no, I'm visiting, I'm their guest, and Caroline said, John, let's drive her to the Ryman. <laughs> and so out we went on this adventure, pressing 10 o'clock at night, and uh, we got stuck in traffic. And then we went down, I'm not sure what the street was, it was like the honky-tonk street of America. Yes, Broadway. And we got stuck, and so I said, this is amazing. And I started videoing Bishop, uh, roll back the sunroof and I had the <laughs> camera going and and I was soaking in your mission field and your harvest field and the your harvest is just ripe for plucking <laughs> let me tell you uh, it was it was great actually out of uh, one of the places uh, someone it, I don't it wasn't Dolly Parton but I could hear someone singing nine to five, and I, let me tell you, I was in heaven, because to prepare for my time here, my husband and I have watched the entire Ken Burns series on the history of country music, and just to get a sense of the feel of things here, and it's been wonderful. It has been wonderful. And of course, we know that until, before we go out into the harvest field, of course, before we go out and share Christ, we must know him for ourselves. And this celebration of the conversion of St. Paul draws us to what a converted life looks like in this world and the power of one person coming to know Jesus. The gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man nor was I taught it, rather. I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. So on this feast of the conversion of St. Paul, we celebrate together God's mercy and grace that totally transforms our lives and restores us to the union we were made for. When we meet Jesus Christ, we are changed. When we grow in Jesus Christ, we are transformed. And when we share the love of Jesus Christ, the face of the earth is renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And on this conversion of St. Paul, as I read his conversion, I love, I love conversion stories. Uh, I think about my grandmother at the age of 88 in the midst of dementia heard the message of Jesus. 
It was actually on television. She was sitting at her kitchen table and she, her nurse looked over and tears were running down my grandmother's face. And she says, is it too late for me? I think of my stepsister addicted to heroin for over 11 years, met a, met a wonderful man who shared Jesus with her and she got free of her addiction step by step and then went back out on the streets to share Jesus with fellow addicts. I think of my own conversion, having everything the world has to offer, yet feeling totally empty inside and on the deepest search, filled with depression and despair, even wanting to end my life at times. And then I met Jesus, and my life has never been the same. Evangelists are like obstetricians. We, we, get to witness, we get to witness new birth. Now, by the way, when, some, when I was first called an evangelist by Archbishop of Canterbury's uh, head of decade of evangelism, his name was Michael Green, I was telling him about what I'd seen happen in Los Angeles. I was working with gangs out there, and we had seen many gang members come to the Lord and put down their weapons, and it was an extraordinary time. So I was telling him how exciting this was to see this work of God, and he said, you're an evangelist. And I said, no, I'm an Episcopalian. <laughs> we don't have those. <laughs> and he died laughing, and he said, my dear, have you read the history of the Anglican Church? It's all about the mission of God and the people of God engaging in God's mission. And then I realized, oh, we do do this. This is who we are, actually. Um, I, I remember the, the birth of my niece. So, so part of the, the joy of my work is, is often uh, I get to be there when this new birth is starting to happen. And it reminds me of when my niece was born. Uh, I don't have children. I'm married later in life. My husband and I would be like Sarah and Abraham if we had children at this point. But so, but I remember when my niece was born and, and little Jana Lou, and here she came into the world and I saw her literally within an hour after she was born. And I said, I literally felt like my heart expanded. I literally felt like my heart expanded. And so getting to be part of that new birth. And so we know Paul is telling us in these great accounts of his new birth. He said, look, this is not information I received. This was revelation. God revealed himself to me. I have seen the Lord. And many of us, though, especially as, as I, I work with, with um, our fellow brothers and sisters, Episcopalians, say, I don't have a Damascus Road story. I don't, I don't have that blind and now I can see in that total Damascus Road. Well, this will be encouraging to all of us. They did a study at Yale University and actually only 7% of followers of Jesus have those radical kind of conversion stories. Um, I was once, you know, crazy and wild and now look at me, I'm a saint. Only about 7% of people have those kind of stories. Most of us, most of us have 
a story that it's, it's sometimes it's so subtle and gentle we don't even notice it. I was born in the church. I was born into it. I slowly started going to church and slowly my heart was strangely warmed. And our spiritual life is kind of like goes ups and downs and sometimes flat, highs and lows and valleys. Um, and and the, the work that I get to do is to help people see God's work in their lives, to help people say, you do have a story. Um, I've done evangelism workshops and I've had I think of the time when a priest came into my office and he said, Carrie, I don't have a story. I don't have a story. And I said, of course you have a story. No, I really don't. And I, so we started talking, then I said, well, Father, tell me, how, how's it going? What's been going on in your life? And we started talking and he said, you know, um, something amazing has happened recently. I've finally been able to forgive a certain family member uh, that had deeply, deeply wounded me, and I've finally been able to forgive. And I said, there's your story. I said, how many of us carry around hurt and pain and anger and, and lack of forgiveness, and only by God's grace are we able to forgive? There's your story. We all have a story. Everyone here has a story. Our story begins with our very being. God knit us together in our mother's womb. That is a story in and of itself. Our very breath is a story with God. And God's work in every life is absolutely wondrous. It's absolutely wondrous. As Paul says, and it's my prayer for us this morning, that we will open the eyes of our hearts to see places where God has met us along the journey. God invites us, if you look at the whole of scripture, uh, over 600 times God is inviting us, come to me, taste and see, follow me. He's wooing us, he's wooing us. And then as we come to him and we draw near to him, he says, now, I want you to go on and tell others about me. Tell others that, that I am real, I am alive, that I made them, that I love them, that I long to be close to them and in union with them. Will you pass on these words? And of course we know, and as Bishop rightly said to us yesterday, this is God's mission. God in many ways does not need us. Uh, my husband and I go to a, a, a special gathering of underground missionaries who work in the Middle East and North Africa, and I have over 300 pages of handwritten notes from breakfast hour asking people, how did you come to know the Lord? I have 300 pages of handwritten notes of people telling me that Jesus appeared to them in a dream or a vision. So in many ways, God doesn't need us, and yet he invites us to participate in the work he is doing in the world. And as he said to St. Paul, he drew St. Paul to himself, and then he says, get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things in which you have seen in me. 
and to those in which I appeared to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we say, well, yes, that was St. Paul. He was special. He had a very special call. But look what Jesus says to us. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Go and make disciples, teaching everything I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you, you, my church, are now going to be my witnesses, my hands and my feet and my heartbeat and my mouthpiece in the world. That is a tall order. We do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, only in the power of the Holy Spirit. And yet that is our call, and that is our joy. I can remember so many times going to church, and I, I'm just going to full disclosure here on this, but when missionaries or evangelists would come to our church, I would tune out. That was my Sunday to have a rest because I thought, I know what they're going to say, love your neighbor, share the good news, go out. I already know it, so I would kind of tune them out. But actually what I missed it was always the way it was often talked about as this, this duty, this you have, to, you have to do this. And I would always think they're trying to prop up an institution. They're trying to fill the pews. I don't want to be about that. But actually, as I've begun to step out in the mission of God and said yes to his call to participate in his work in the world, I have seen that this is the source of ultimate joy. It is an invitation to joy. Remember what John said? John said in his first letter, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have seen and heard, which we have touched with our eyes, which we have touched with our hands and seen with our eyes, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life has appeared to us, and we proclaim this message to you so that our joy may be made complete. It is an invitation, mission, and evangelism, and witnessing is actually an invitation to joy. It's an invitation to joy. The Dead Sea is dead because it has no outlet. Jesus says, I've come to bring life and life in abundance. I love what Bishop Bowerschmidt said yesterday when we said, I have found, he said, I have found life. I have found life. And we die unless we give that life away. We love because he first loved us and then he calls us to go out and love. And whom do we love? As I drove down Broadway and saw the Ryman, who do we love? This broken world. Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. We don't need to turn on the television to know how ferocious this world is, how broken the hatred, the poverty, the indecency, the war, the racism, the total injustice, so much so that it feels like the fabric of our society and our world is being rent us under, doesn't it? A new Pew Research says that one-third of Americans say 
I don't believe in the God of the Bible. One third of Americans say that, that they don't have any religious affiliation. And that goes up to 40% in ages, the age, ages 18 to 29 year olds. But what perhaps grips me even more is 80% of Americans said that their primary source of pain in the past 24 hours is loneliness. 47% of Americans say they feel left out. 43% feel relationships are not meaningful. 43% feel isolated from others. 53% says they have very little in-person social interactions. The loneliest generation is Generation Z, those ages 18 to 22. This is, uh, this is from the Harvest Business Review said this, loneliness is, is a growing health epidemic. Stanford Medicine did a study uh, which, which was an analysis of the CDC. The life expectancy for Americans has now decreased. In the age of scientific advancement, um, our life expectancy has decreased. Why? They say because of the sense of desperation, despondency, and loneliness. So, so there's this incredible disconnect because still over 90% of Americans say they believe in God and they are searching and our culture is saying, this is the way, buy this, get this, try this new quick fix. Forbes magazine says, estimates that Americans are exposed to around 4,000 to 10,000 ads per day saying, buy this, do this. So we're stuffing ourselves with all of this stuff, which only leads us to feel more unease. And so in the midst of this swirl and confusion, Jesus is calling out, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Sheep, I am your good shepherd. I am here for you. I am yours. I love you. And like Paul, when he went into Athens, what do we need to do? Remember when Paul went into Athens and there were all these slogans to unknown gods. It said it literally broke his heart. But he rose up and he said, I see you're searching in every way. He affirmed their search. And then he said, what you are searching for has been made known in and through Jesus Christ. So how do we do this, church? How do we do this, Diocese of Tennessee? How do we begin to go out on the streets of Broadway and say, what you're searching for has been made known in and through Jesus Christ? How do we do it? Well, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a great feast, and he invites all to the feast. So step one is for us to say yes to the feast of God. I think many of us go out into the world very, very malnourished. As, we're, as we start the new year, how many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you said, I'm going to eat healthier this year? I'm going on this diet. Yes, me too. And so, so I've already broken it. This is a loss. But, 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 but what about our spiritual diet and health? 
So Jesus says, come to the feast. And of course, as sacramental Christians, we feast on the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to look a little deeper at the feast, and I want to highlight four things very quickly. L-I-F-E. I've come to bring life and life in abundance. What is at the feast of life? L, love. And it's unconditional love, the kind of love that only God can give. It's that sense when we look in the mirror and think, if anyone ever knew this about me, they would turn away and reject me. I hate that part of me. And God looks at us and says, I love you with an everlasting love. You are precious and honored in my sight. You are the apple of my eye. I love you. I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you nor forsake you. I am with you even till the end of the age. It's that kind of unconditional love at the Feast of Life. I, he gives us a new identity. Our world is constantly trying to throw labels on us. Labels of our sexuality, of our employment status, of our um, income, of our race, of our ethnicity. Label after label after label. And our Lord at the Feast of Life says, you're my beloved child. That is who you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. You are sons and daughters of the kings of king of kings and lord of lords. I talked to a young girl the other day. I said, how's it going, Ingrid? She said, terrible. I said, why? She said, I'm having to wear my brother's clothes to school. My family doesn't have money to buy me clothes. And, and, and uh, I said, Ingrid, do you know who you are? You are daughter of a king. I saw her later, and I said, how's it going? She said, I thought about what you said. If I'm daughter of a king, that makes me a princess. I said, you got it. You got it. That's who we are. And we're ambassadors for Christ wherever we are in our stage of life. F, forgiveness and freedom. Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and rose again from the dead so that we could be forgiven and we could be free. And Jesus says, the way my father is, he doesn't sit at the end of the road when the prodigal has gone off and turned away. He's not sitting at the end of the road saying, oh, here he comes. I wonder what he's going to say. If he gravels, and grovels well enough, maybe I'll forgive him. No, our God is standing on tiptoe. And when he sees the prodigal coming back, he runs to his son, throws a robe around him, and says, my son was lost, but now he's found. Brothers and sisters, have you received forgiveness? I asked my reflexologist, what's the greatest ailment you have? And I was thinking it was lower back. And she said, well, that's easy. It's people not forgiving themselves. And I can feel it like knots down their necks. There's not one thing any of us have done that our Lord isn't ready and waiting to forgive us. Let us be free today. L-I-F-E-E, -E, eternal life. And eternal life begins here and now. Not just pie in the sky by and by, even though, wow, that, that the thought of eternal life, that death is not the end. That when I hold the hand of my 
loved one who is dying, and when I go someday, it will be just the beginning with the Lord of life. But eternal life begins here and now in the power of the Holy Spirit. God will be strong in our weakness. He will comfort us when we are sorrowful. He will, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has been given to each and every one of us. That is serious Holy Spirit power. And, and the, Jesus says the king invites all of us to the feast. Brothers and sisters, have we been feasting or are we just eating a side salad? Have we been feasting at the feast of life? Have we been abiding and saturating ourselves with this amazing good news? And then my next question is, Jesus says to those who have feasted, he says, now, now that you have feasted, my servants, my servants, what a, what a privilege to be a servant. Caroline and I were talking about that yesterday. What a privilege to be a servant of God. He says, now I want you to go out and I want you to invite everyone to the feast, everyone you know. And so we go out. And yesterday we thought about three people God has placed in our lives whom we can invite to the feast. We can invite. Now many of us, we, we, followers of Jesus, we, we love sitting at the feast. What happens if we don't go out? We get really chubby <laughs> or constipated. You know, we've got to get out there, right? We've got to get out there. We are fed so that we can go out and bring others to the feast. And what happens in this wonderful parable, the first person says, thank you so much for the invitation, just got married. Thank you so much for the invitation, just bought an ox and piece of land. Thank you so much for the invitation, I've got some things to do. And so the servant goes back. And what I love about this parable is the king doesn't say, well, how did you do it? You messed it up for me. Why did you do it that way? Uh, I, gotta, I have to get another servant. No, that's not our business how people respond. It's not our business. That is between that person and God. But it is our business to go out and keep inviting. So the, the king says, keep going out. Go out and, and talk to the lame and the hurting and those who are hungry and the outcasts. Go out and go out to the country lanes. I love that being from Longview, Texas. Go out to the country lanes. Bring them to the feast. Go out. Keep inviting. Keep loving. Keep serving. Keep working for justice. Keep feeding. Keep sharing. Keep sharing I have found. Go into your Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and invite people to the banquet. Let them know God is real and God is alive. Do you know how much God loves you? I say to my dad all the time, do you know how much God loves you, Dad? I love you and God loves you. Do you know? Do you know? I'm going to end with this. I first caught the bug of inviting people to the feast. When I had my conversion, and we're all Episcopalians, my whole family, and my family was like, what has happened to you? And I can't believe you're talking to me about Jesus, because I know what your life is like. This is my brother. You're walking around with your Bible all the time. I said, oh, no, imagine me without Jesus. Uh, family's the hardest sometimes, right? 
and I told my friends, and gosh, I, I, I realized God loves me, and God loves you too, and that's about all I said, really. And they asked me all these theological questions. I said, I don't know the answer, but we'll find someone who does, and come journey with me. But it was, it was when I started to step out into the Samaria that I was, I was caught. I was walking out of an Eckerd's drugstore in Los Angeles. I was living there, and I saw a man on the street corner, very disheveled. And I felt the Lord say, little nudge, you know, quiver in the liver. You get that nudge. Make that phone call. Reach out to that person. The little, the little quiver in the liver said, go tell him I love him. And I got, and I said, oh, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. I'm Episcopalian. We don't do that. We don't do that. We don't do that. Bless him, Lord, bless him. I got in the car, I started to drive away. Carrie, go tell him I love him. Oh, bless him, Lord. Provide for his needs. Bless him, Lord. I started driving away. I get to the, the street light. Carrie, go tell him I love him. Lord, okay, but you've got to give me the words. And as he promises in our gospel today, he does. So I turned around, got out of my car, went up. And I said, hi, I'm Carrie. He said, I'm Michael. Nice to meet you. I said, I know this might sound a little nutty, but uh, I, felt, I felt a little nudge that I needed to tell you that God loves you. And he stepped back, and he looked at me, and I thought we were about to have an incident on the street <laughs> corner. He, he was... And I said, uh, listen, our church, we, 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 have, we have a meal every Sunday at our church, and... Uh, and we invite people, and, and anyone can come. And uh, so I had my, my handbag with me, and I started getting a piece of paper, and I wrote the name of our church. And I said, this is where our church is. And, you know, you could come and, and come, 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 come Sunday and, and have a meal. He looked at me, and he said, got tears in his eyes. He said, you won't believe this. He said, yesterday a woman came up to me and said the exact same thing. Her name is Billy. Do you know Billy? It's just Los Angeles. Uh, I don't know Billy. She invited me to, to that church. And in fact, she's coming to pick me up on the street corner on Sunday. I'll be there. And I got in the car and just cried like a baby. And I said, Lord, this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with you in your heart to see everybody come to you. He wants everyone within the reach of his saving embrace. Now, did he need me to reach out to Michael? No, he would have found another way. But he allowed me to see his heart, to see the heart of God. And that got me. And from that day forward, I said, Lord, anytime I feel a nudge, I'm going to step out. And I've had a lot of, no, thank you. That's a nice thought you had for me just then, that God loves me. Whether it's a friend or a family or making a phone call, inviting people over for a meal, I've just kept reaching out because that's where I get to see God at work. And life becomes an adventure. Philip Yancey, in his book, Vanishing Grace, whatever happened to the good news, 
said they did a poll of the three things Americans want to hear. Number one, I love you. Number two, I forgive you. And the third surprised him. Supper's ready. <laughs> Diocese of Tennessee, supper is ready. Supper is ready. Come to the feast, feast of fresh, unconditional love, new identity, forgiveness, freedom, eternal life. Feast. Feast in this sacramental life. And then go out and invite others to the feast of God. Amen.